It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And welcome on into this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, alongside MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. Guys, thank you for joining me. Jonathan, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday? Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, the concussion doctor said it's okay for me to uh, continue podcasting full strength. La- last week, I have to admit, I was I was not at, at full strength. I was uh, yeah, wasn't sure, and uh, now now that I'm cleared, I'm I'm ready and raring to go. Well, that's that's good to hear, and we've got a lot of draft stuff to talk about with the with your guys' new top 100 rankings uh, being released. So I'm glad you're at full strength and ready to go. Uh, here, Jim, how are you doing? Doing good, doing good. Get working on our, our first mock draft of the new year, Ooh, um, and uh, we'll be glad when that is done. And, and it'll be, we'll, I guess, we'll be probably doing mock drafts every week from here on out. And looking forward to that too. It did. It feels like we're we're fully immersed in draft season when you're doing the first mock draft. That's the yes. That that's the signal. So that is how you know. Yes, it is uh, just a little over a month away. Uh, the draft will be. But before we get uh, diving into to the bulk of this episode is going to be some draft chat. But we do have some some minor league prospects and major league news uh, to get out of the way. Reds top prospect Nick Senzel is expected to be called up uh, and will be playing. Uh, it looks like center field. Uh, for Cincinnati as they try and get back in to the NL Central race. Um, Senzel, obviously one of the one of the top prospects in the game, didn't exactly come up as a center fielder. But Jonathan, uh, are you surprised by him coming up this early, or are you excited to see him uh, on the big league stage? I, I am both. I am both excited and uh, maybe mildly surprised. I, I mean, I knew it was going to be a question of when and not if he got back. You know, from the ankle injury, I thought maybe they'd give him a little more time. Um, although he hit in his first six games, and uh, as we record this, uh, the, his previous game, he you know he had three hits and homered, and and has looked fine in center field, mobility, speed, all that is is there. And if you think about it, I mean, he was competing to make the opening day roster, and I don't know if he would have made the the, the roster out of spring training if he hadn't gotten hurt, but he was very very close. So had he not gotten hurt, he would have been up already, if not on opening day, then fairly soon thereafter. And uh, I, I, I'm guessing that the Reds have seen him play a handful of games and uh, have seen enough to know he's healthy. All of the other skills checked all the boxes they wanted for him to, to be in the mix to be on the 25-man roster. So the fact that he hasn't played that much since coming back is – is really not that big of a deal. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think if he hadn't been hurt last year, I mean, who knows how the service yeah. time considerations would have played out. He would have been ready to come up at some point last summer. I mean, this was a guy who was the best hitter in his draft class, and he's done nothing to dispel that. And he's one of those guys who's interesting to me. Here's a guy who goes, you know, number two pick in the draft. So obviously everybody loves him, highly regarded. And I actually think he's a better player than people realized at the time he got drafted. He's, I think the bat overshadows everything because the bat is so good. 
but I think he's a, a better athlete than people realize. Like, I mean, at the time he was drafted, I don't know that any of us would have said, oh, yeah, Nick Senzel, future center fielder. And, yeah, part of that's out of need. But, I mean, I think this guy could be, a, you know, at least a plus. You know, it's hard to say gold glove third baseman with Nolan Arenado around. But, like, a plus third baseman. He's capable of playing second. He even tried short. I mean, he, he could have close to plus tools across the board. I mean, I think the power is better than people realize, too. Um, I, I'm just glad I, you know, he's had all these like kind of weird injuries like vertigo and a fractured finger. I just want to see him stay healthy and, and see what he can do. Cause I mean, this is a, a potential special talent. Yeah, I agree. And it is definitely a weird situation uh, that, that he's kind of stuck now having to play center field, but that's just the nature of the Reds infield right now, but uh, definitely a position of need. And if, if he can, he can be in the middle of that lineup. He could be very, very exciting, especially in that park. I, I imagine he could put up some, some pretty nice numbers in that park. Now, Senzel, uh, now that we have him in the big leagues, um, he will presumably be losing his prospect eligibility soon, despite being one of our top prospects. And of course, Vlad Jr. has officially arrived. He's in the big leagues with the Blue Jays. We already have Tatis Jr., number two prospect, Eloy, uh, top prospect. So Jim, you have an article on Pipeline right now about who could possibly be Vladdy Jr.'s successor as the number one prospect? You give a few few options, and 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 what what did you decide? Who who do you think is is the most likely successor for Vlad Jr.? Yeah, I, you know, I tried to break it up into categories, and you know, I, I actually thought I'd get killed on Twitter. This is the type of story you get killed on Twitter for for not picking, you know, fan mm-hmm. X's favorite player, favorite prospect, and I didn't get killed too much. There was some. I, I did not try to list every possible player. I tried to limit myself to five. So I went with guys, you know, pure offensive upside. I mentioned Alex Kirilov and Wander Franco. Uh, guys with all-around tools. I went with Royce Lewis and Joe Adele. And, of course, Kirilov and Adele haven't even played yet this year. And then frontline starting pitchers, I kind of continued what we talked about last uh, week on the uh, on the podcast where I now think Casey Mize is, is the best pitching prospect in baseball. And I said that before his, his double-A debut, which we'll touch on in a moment. And so, anyway, I mean, I think you can make a case for different guys. I went with Wander Franco. I, I'm going to. It is mandated. Now, anytime I mention him, I even did this on Canadian radio today. I have to refer to Wander Franco as Vladimir Guerrero the third. I will keep doing that. He's, he's, I'm not saying he's better than Vlad or he will be better than Vlad, but he's put up, he's on the same path. Appy League at 17, put up better numbers with MVP, low class A at age 18. He's putting up better numbers than Vlad did thus far in the Midwest League. And it's crazy because it's not just offense with him, it, it's switch hitter with plus speed. He might be a shortstop. If not, he's probably a pretty good third baseman or second baseman. He's yeah. Maybe I need a new nickname because he, he's kind of a combination of a lot of the the best traits of Vladimir Guerrero and Fernando Tatis <laughs> Jr. I mean, it's it's a crazy. Yep. He's got a crazy ceiling right now, and he's doing nothing to make you think that he isn't going to get there. So I, I went with Wander Franco. I'm interested, Jonathan. Like, if who do you think is going to be? You know, in a couple months when 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 Vlad officially graduates off our list. Not necessarily who will be number one at that exact moment on our list because we won't revise it until July. But I mean, who do you think when we, when we do our new list, you know, totally new list at the, in midsummer will be the number one prospect in baseball in your mind? Well, I will say that he will be the best Wander Franco in baseball. Maybe so, he's got um, competition. Yeah, not only in, in name only, literally. Um, yes. But uh, as there are too many, many too many Wander Francos. Wander's Franco. Wander Franco. We'll work on that. Um, yes. Uh, yes. So, I, I mean, I, I think Franco is the guy that we were all looking at and we wanted to see uh, how he would uh, jump out of the gate 
this this year and and clearly showing that the the move to full season ball hasn't hurt him so uh, I I would be a little bit surprised if he wasn't the number one prospect when we do that re-ranking uh, in July obviously a lot can happen between now and and then um, you know certain guys have gotten off to to poor starts I, I I would have maybe pounded the table a little bit more for Royce Lewis. I am fully confident that he's going to climb out of this early funk that he that he started in. Um, so, might make an argument with him if he's if he's red hot and, and Wander Franco cools off a little bit, um, th- then maybe he's the the guy. Maybe he's in Double A by the time we re rank. Who knows? But uh, from a position player standpoint, he is the only guy uh, that I, I would think of and. Uh, we can use this maybe, I don't know if we're going to segue to Casey Mize right now, um, but he would be the guy that you kind of look at, unless, of course, by July, he has graduated. <laughs> I don't know that that's going to happen, but at this rate, anything is possible. Well, and, and, and on Mize, and, and we can transition here because uh, we, we have just just saw Casey Mize. Got, got, since we last talked, last week on the podcast, Jim, you, you're looking pretty smart here because you brought up what was a rather inflammatory question. Uh, on the podcast, suggesting that Casey Mize, after his hot start and uh, Forrest Whitley's slow start in AAA and Jesus Lazardo being injured, and I, Mackenzie Gore's done nothing wrong, of course, um, but perhaps that Casey Mize is the top pitching prospect at the very least in baseball. But now he's he de- promoted to AA, throws a no-hitter in his first AA start. Everyone's talking about, oh, wait, now is he just going to be in Detroit in a few weeks? Now you're feeling, you're feeling a little extra good about this, Jim, or, or has not much really changed? Yeah, no, I am. I mean, you know, as I said at the time, I mean, it's not based on, you know, the first month of minor league season, although I will, <laughs> his stats are so crazy. I'm just going to read them off. This is four starts in high A, one in double A. He's now at 35 innings for the season, seven hits, one run, two walks, <laughs> 32 strikeouts. And it, it's just ridiculous. And I mean, the, the, the reason I would give him the nod over those other guys is, you know, his stuff, you know, Forrest Willie probably is the best pure stuff by just a hair, but but Casey Mize is, is very close. And I think his control and command are above all those other guys. And it's probably the best combination of of stuff and polish since Steven Strasburg, who was the number one overall pick back in, in 2009. And, and as you know, because I mentioned it on the podcast, my highlight of spring training was we were trying to do these for want of a better term, demo videos where we're getting prospects to show us how they do various things. And I, I talked to Casey about his repertoire. And what struck me is, I mean, here's a guy who, who had tremendous success the last two years in college baseball, was the number one overall pick in the draft, had a brief but very successful pro debut. And in his mind, he's like, ah, I, my slider's not very good. Um, so he needed a better breaking ball. So he spent the offseason, you know, looking at, you know, TrackMan and Edgetronic and Rapsodo and experimenting with pitches at the, the Bledsoe Agency's facility. You know, this is a guy who had, had nothing but success. No reason to not think, no, nothing that didn't say, look, you're the best pitcher at your level. That, that's, you know, you are your number one pick. And he wanted to get better. And it, it kind of made me chuckle. If, if you listen to the, the interview last night, like, like one, like the Tigers love his makeup almost as much as they love this stuff in polish. And, you know, first thing he did was thank his teammates by name for making various defensive plays. And then Casey Mize came out and said, that's the worst fastball command I've had all year. And it wasn't close. Um, <laughs> well, and and, yeah. and he didn't mean that in like, Hey, I'm bragging, but he's just like, he was like, the guy pitches a no hitter and he's kind of frustrated because he wasn't commanding his fastball like he liked. <laughs> so he went to what he calls a cutter 
which is kind of a slider. And what he calls a slurve is kind of a curve, but he calls it a cutter because he wants to throw it hard. It's better when he throws it hard. Anyway, he said, you know, he switched to the cutter. I mean, this is a guy who's got two seam fastball, four seam fastball. His splitter is, is probably the most unhittable pitch in the minors. And he commands it better than anybody I've ever seen command a splitter. And he's got, you know, this mid eighties cutter slider, you know, upper eighties cutter slider in this mid eighties slurve curve, like, and he throws them all for strikes and locates them. I mean, it's unfair. So I just thought it was kind of typical Casey Mize, you know, th- you know, very humble. And then he sits there and, and, and is thinking about what he needs to improve rather than, Hey, I just showed up in double a and, and threw a 98 pitch, no hitter in my first start. Right. Right. And I don't want to fall too far down the, the Mize rabbit hole and not even just a matter of, of is he maybe the, the best prospect in baseball? Cause the, what you were just describing about Wander Franco is, is pretty exciting as well. Um, but let's, let's take a quick, quick second to talk about the timeline here, because at this point, you know, the tiger is not necessarily contending this year. Is he just going to end up kind of stuck down there for, for maybe service time reasons or even for developmental reasons? He only has like seven pro starts under his belt. Um, or is this a situation kind of like we saw with Carlos Rodon a few years ago where he's up in the middle of the year, uh, even for a team that's not necessarily contending? Uh, Jonathan, what do you think? You think we could see mines this year at the big league level? I mean, I think we could. I, and, but I, don't, I, I wouldn't use the word stuck. I mean, this is his first pro season. I mean – it's not like he even pitched last year. I mean, uh, a small handful of innings, but that was it. So uh, I, I, there'd be nothing wrong with him getting a full year in. Maybe he, he finishes off in, in AAA. Maybe he started the year in, in A ball. Uh, that said, I think that let's say he has, I don't know, you want to give him even two months and he just absolutely dominates AA and then he goes up to AAA and it's more of the same thing. I could see the Tigers like exciting the fan base a little bit by, you know, adding him to the 40 man and bringing him up in September. Some of that may depend on how many innings he's thrown. I think they're going to want to monitor that, that obviously uh, he's been so uh, right. good and efficient so far that I don't think he's going to be laboring too much. Um, so I, I could see that happening, uh, but I I'd probably think that maybe they, you know, they give him a chance to, you know, he comes in with a quote-unquote chance to win an opening uh, day rotation spot, and then right. he gets called up, say, late April, early May. It's really tough because it makes no sense from a business standpoint to call him up and get the service time clock ticking towards free agency or arbitration because they have no chance to win this year. But at the same time, <laughs> you're going to run out of challenges for him, and, and I'm not saying – I'm not saying he's a perfect pitcher right now by any means, but he's got big time stuff. He's got big time polish. Like if he does this for another month, I don't know what he really has to prove in triple A versus double A. And it's going to be an interesting dilemma for the Tigers. Now I have no doubt if let's say they were contending that we'd see him like if the Tigers were in the wild card race, then yeah, I think we'd see him at some time in, in June or July, but it's just this, quandary because i mean does he need to have much to prove in the minors not really especially if he does this for another month or so but the same token you're better off the team holding on to him and it gets back to this issue of it's kind of unfortunate but you reward teams for not calling up players when they're ready when everybody knows they're ready so i'm not saying he's he's definitely ready now but if he does this for another month i i don't know what you're going to ask him to do in triple a it's It'll be fun to watch because he's 
like I said, I mean, I, I don't know what more you'd want. I guess I'll use my Vlad Jr. line. Maybe you'd make him left-handed, but I mean, the stuff's there, <laughs> the polish is there, the desire to be the best player he can be is there. I mean, he, the other thing I loved, he had a quote, I think, after he got promoted, and somebody asked him if he was surprised by his success in high A this year, and he said something to the effect that, no, I'm, I'm not really surprised because that's what I strive to do. Like, I mean, this guy wants to be as good as he can be also. So it's, yeah, I'm, as you can tell, I mean, I hope Mackenzie Gore isn't listening to this because it's, like, it, it's yeah. tough, but like, it's like, I, my, my, my love for Casey Mize is, might, might be right there with my love for Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, and then Gore's been, Gore's been pretty good lately. Probably. Yeah, yeah he's been we'll, great we'll, too. Uh, we'll, we'll save Gore for another time. But but Mize himself, you know, he's, you just mentioned, it, maybe it helps that Mize, after throwing a no-hitter, is like, oh, I have to work on my fastball command. It's not like we heard Vlad Jr. being like, I have to work on my defense. <laughs> so so yeah. maybe maybe that'll help the, the Tigers. Out. But either way, hopefully uh, we will continue to see Mize succeed at whatever level he is at. All right, let's move on to uh, some some draft chat. You've recently released the new top 100 draft prospects. It's just over a month away. Um, now, a lot, a lot of shakeups in the new rankings. Got some risers, got some followers, got some new names. We touched on a few of them last week. Uh, some of the new names that we're going to see at the top of these rankings. Uh, Cody Hosey, uh, hitter at Tulane. He jumped on. Jackson Rutledge, junior college uh, pitcher, jumping on. Uh, jumping on the list as well. Um, but let's start at the very, very top before jumping around this top 100. Uh, Jonathan, is it safe to say that there is kind of a very clear, clear top tier of about four guys, and then after that it kind of gets a little bit messy? Uh, yeah, it, uh, it that, that's definitely true. And there's some guys that have jumped up to like right behind them who are belong in that top half of the first round mix solidly. But, you know, we kind of, especially the, the – the top three are, but you know, even the top four were, were, were definitely the top four and they've remained. That's Adley Rushman from Oregon state, Bobby Witt jr. The, the high school shortstop from Texas, Andrew Vaughn, the, the first baseman from Cal and CJ Abrams, the, the very toolsy shortstop from, from Georgia at the high school ranks. And, and those were the four sort of heading in uh, and, and they remain, they remain the, the four uh, with the others sort of in that next tier. And Jim, do you see really any way that that four is going to change uh, over the next month, or is that do you feel pretty confident that that is going to remain the way it is? Um, it could, it could change. I mean, somebody theoretically could get hurt. I mean, I know, you know, it, there, there's these guys from the microscope because they're at the top of the draft. You know, if there's mild quibbling with Andrew Vaughn's Pac-12 stats haven't been as loud as early season stats so maybe somebody who plays a position that's you know more defensive value than first base maybe sneaks up there with him I mean it could have but I I do think yes those are the four guys doesn't necessarily mean they'll be the first four picks necessarily um even if they remain kind of that 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 top tier because it it doesn't always play out that way but I I don't think you know those we're four. I'm gonna look at our preseason top five. Was those four guys and Shea Langoliers who got slowed by a handmade injury, but is actually making a push. And, and so those four guys have been up at the top of the draft for a long time. So I, I don't think it's necessarily going to change. 
Uh, so, so that that seems seems like a pretty pretty safe, right? Of course, they might not always go in that order for for a variety of reasons. Um, but looking at some of the guys that have that have jumped into maybe the the top twenty, top thirty or so, uh, one name that we did not touch on last week in terms of, of biggest risers that I'll start with you, Jim, is uh, right-handed pitcher Quinn Priester, a high schooler uh, in Illinois, who's who's now up uh, into the into the top twenty-five range. Um, how did he jump all the way on here? He was not originally on the top 50. Uh, what is it about Priestier that puts him in this range? And we're not just saying this, but Jonathan will back me up on this. And when we did our list in the fall, our initial first rough draft before we sent out to teams for a bunch of feedback, Quinn Priester was literally number 51. And then after we got all the feedback, we moved a bunch of guys around, some guys up, some guys down. And Quinn Priester again came in at exactly number 51. And as Jonathan will tell you, I can agonize over – hey, who should the last guy on the list be? But, like, he literally was number 51. So he is not a guy who came from out of nowhere. He was a known quantity. He just – you know, it's interesting because he – I think we have him ranked as the fourth best high school pitcher on our list. And he – you know, you could argue he might even – he possibly could be the second one drafted. I mean, high school right-handers, where they get drafted is murky because teams are a little afraid of the demographic and their signability. But what's helped him make the jump from – you know, theoretically second round pick to a, a, a solid first round pick or first round talent right now is he's always been, you know, people have always loved how athletic he is. He, he's quarterback, wide receiver, defensive back and football team. His arm works really well. And he's thrown a little bit harder. Like he was like, if you saw him in the past, I think his curveball probably stuck out the most. It was, it was one of the better curveballs. It still is in the prep class. Um, good spin, good depth. And, you know, his fastball would sit around 90. Now, I mean, he's he's picked up some velocity this spring. He's touching 97 with riding life on a four-seamer. There are guys who actually think his two-seamer, like, at 92, 93 is even better. Like, it seems like we're getting away from the two-seamer a little bit because of launch angle, and you want the fastball up in the zone so the guys can't lift it. But he's got a very heavy two-seamer that, that, that breaks horizontally and vertically. Um, he He's still... You know, his, his, you, you like the build, you know, it's six foot three and it's got strength, but you also have some projection remaining. Um, he's, you know, he's intelligent. You know, I mean, he, like a lot of high school pitchers, he'll need to refine the change up a little bit, but it, it's a pretty good package. I mean, it's like, you aren't questioning. It's real easy on, on almost any pitcher. To go, oh, you know, it might be a reliever. Nobody's really saying that about Quinn Priester. So he, uh, he should go really good. I, I would, you know, again, you never know with high school right-handers, but I, I'd be very surprised if he's not a first-round pick. And he's one of those guys, it seems like every time I talk to somebody, they're like, oh, he's moving up a little bit. Or even today I, I got uh, – it was actually I was talking to an agent who doesn't represent him who was saying, how high do you think Quinn Priester is going? Like I saw a video of him the other day, and he looks even better than ever. So, like, everybody everybody kind of in the, the, the baseball community following the draft, is, is the arrow's pointing up on Quinn Priester for him. Now, Jonathan, I want to stick with high school pitching for you, uh, but I want to talk about uh, left-hander Hunter Barco. Now, uh, Jim talks about how uh, righties, high school righties, you never uh, know where to tell where they're going to where they're going to go in the draft. It's one of the riskiest profiles there is. Um, Barco is kind of in his own tier as far as high school left-handers go, and in a year where college pitching is so down, it feels like he could benefit from that. Where does Barco kind of kind of fit into the the pitching mix? Could we see him go in the first round? I think we could, uh, and, and the left-handedness helps, um, but there's some question marks with him. I mean, he was probably 
of the the high school arms, especially of the high school lefties, he was kind of the the guy who was the the most quote unquote famous coming into the summer. Everyone knew who he was, uh, not just because of his pitching. But he had a lot of power. He was in you know home run derbies and things like that. Um, and he didn't have a great summer. Uh, some of that was mechanical. Uh, he he, he kind of has a very low elbow kind of delivery that scares a lot of, of people and and keeps him from probably maximizing velocity-wise. Uh, and his velo was down over the summer. And some of it was nitpicking over the guy that everyone was watching. He's been better this spring, um, although there are still some concerns with his, his lower arm slot. Uh, hasn't really hurt Chris Sale. I'm not saying that Hunter Barco is Chris Sale, but there were you know some of those kinds of mechanical concerns. Uh, his stuff is not as electric, not nearly as electric as Sale's, but um, there is deception. He does have three above average pitches, potentially. Uh, the command becomes a, a problem because he can't always uh, repeat his, his delivery. Uh you know, so he could he I could see him sort of sneaking into the back end of the first round, uh, especially if there's a team with maybe multiple picks uh, that likes to work with high school arms. Uh, he, he is committed to go to Florida for college, uh, which could enter into things depending on where he goes. But that's right about the sort of ballpark. Uh, I think that he could he could sneak into at least as of right now. Uh, Jim, going to stay stay in the high school ranks here, but go back back to the position players. Obviously, uh, one of the biggest stories last year was was where Kyler Murray uh, was selected, uh, and, and how it's unfolded over the last year is about as unpredictable as you could possibly Don't get imagine. Me started. Don't get no, me started. I, I know we're, we're not we're not going to go full full uh, Jim's Kyler Murray rant right now. Totally, totally fair. Um, but I do want to talk about the two guys where football could be a factor, uh, two high schoolers, Maurice Hampton and Jerry and Ely. Uh, I believe uh, Ely dropping a little bit from where he was in the initial rankings, Hampton uh, roughly around the same spot. So how is football going to factor into these two high school guys? And I think this is a more relevant question for baseball, too, as far as getting the high school athletes to stick with baseball versus a guy who's already in college. I know we saw last year or maybe two years ago with uh, Jordan Adams with the Angels, uh, who ultimately ended up signing uh, to play baseball. So, so where do these two guys fit in and which one is maybe more likely to go to college and pursue football? I think Ely is more likely to go to college and pursue football just from the standpoint of you know, you could argue he's as good as any athlete in the draft. I mean, he could have, you know, he can show you top of the scale run times. It's at least 20 home run power. I mean, he's got plenty of raw power. You know, he's, he's, he needs to improve, but I mean, he's got the tools to be a good center fielder. He's got a strong arm, but you know, he, he, he swung and missed at times on the, on the showcase circuit last summer. Um, and for all his bat speed and strength, I mean, he's not having a great spring uh, making good contact against kind of bad competition in Mississippi high schools this year. And I think that just scares you in terms of like, are we going to pay enough to buy this guy away from football? Because the track record of of football, baseball athletes is an awful lot of them wind up playing pro ball. You know, the ones who sign for baseball, an awful lot of them come in struggle and all of a sudden they're like, Hmm, college football is looking a lot more attractive right now. Um, and so like, I, you know, as of today, I, I'd be surprised if anybody would pay Ely enough to totally buy him away from football. Um, I, I just don't see that happening. Um, you know, Hampton, Maurice Hampton and Ely's ticketed Ely's, um, 
ticketed for Ole Miss where he's a running back. Hampton is a cornerback who, who's set to go to LSU. You know, his season started later. You know, he wasn't off to a great start. Um, no, you know, nobody was bearing him by any means. I think you'd, you'd rate Ely as probably a little bit better athlete. I think you'd feel better about Maurice Hampton's chances to hit, if that makes sense. And, and you know, and athleticism is a really good tool, too. I think you'd feel better about giving him a seven-figure bonus to give up football um, at this point. You know, it, it's still really not a sign ability. And, you know, just you have so much leverage with the football. You just never you know. Like, and I don't know what his price tag is. If his price tag was $4 million, nobody's going to give him that. If it was closer to two, yeah, you might have somebody be all in on that. So it's we still have to nail down the sign ability. Um, and, you know, but if one of them were to sign, I think it would be Maurice Hampton. But it's also possible that because of the football commitments and what the signability may become, that, you know, Jonathan and I are excited on day three when they go in the 34th round and we touch on them briefly at the end of the day three broadcast. Um, you know, I, I don't think there will be any either or. They're either going to go high and get paid or, or go at the bottom of the draft or, or not at all. Uh, Jonathan, we're going to move back to the college ranks uh, for these next two guys. When you're talking about guys like Hampton and Ely, you're talking huge upside, a lot of risk. Um, but I want to ask you about two hitters who could be maybe two of the safer bats in the draft, and they appear uh, in a similar range in the rankings. And their teammates uh, at UCLA, arguably the top – or not arguably, I mean they've been ranked number one uh, in, in college baseball for, for many weeks now, Michael Toglia and Chase Strumpf. So what is it about these two guys that, that could put them in the first, second round conversation? And uh, totally, I believe, was a little bit more famous coming into the year. Um, but how high could you see these two teammates going uh, in the draft? Yeah, we had them we had them lumped together uh, in the same neck of the woods in the fall. And now they've flip flop, but they're in the same same area. Uh, it's interesting because as good as UCLA has been, uh, neither one of them has been as good as maybe people uh, had hoped they'd be from from the start of the season. The good news is that both of them are starting to heat up. Uh, I mean, it's good for them draft-wise. It's also good for UCLA. And uh, Tolia is interesting because you don't often have like a college power bat with upside projection. Um, and, you know, he's from the Pacific Northwest – so, you know, he was a little behind developmentally compared to, say, you know, someone from Southern California. And he's also only 20. Uh, so he's younger than a lot of college juniors. But he's got he's got some tools. Uh, he's got raw power. Uh, there's a little worry about the swing and miss. Uh, he actually runs well, uh, runs well enough where some think he could probably handle an outfield corner. But he's a really good defender at first. So I think he ends up uh, uh, as as a first baseman um, where he switch hits and he's a left-handed thrower. Uh, so I, I, I think that he's going to be a really interesting, like say sandwich pick for somebody. Um, Strumpf is kind of the prototypical college performer. He got off to a really slow start this year is coming, coming on now. Good bat to ball skills, advanced approach at the plate, decent amount of power. He was going to be a, a second baseman, um, when all is said and done, but it has a chance to be like an offensive-minded second baseman. Reminds a lot of people, especially scouts in the area of Kevin Kramer, 
who's now in AAA with the Pirates, uh, but maybe better bat-to-ball skills uh, when all said and done, better chance to be an everyday second baseman. Nice little trivia. Uh, Chase Strumpf played shortstop at his high school, uh, and and ma- that made one Royce Lewis have to wait to play shortstop until Strumpf left for UCLA. No, well, there you go. Uh, that's 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 a good that's a good plug there for for Chase Strumpf as a, as a good player. If you were if you were blocking blocking Royce, so uh, so I like that. I like that. Um, Okay, Jim, I have to ask you about a guy uh, that you you alerted me to last week uh, who's a little bit farther down in this top 100, um, but I believe he is the uh, second or third highest-ranked junior college player uh, on this list, and that is uh, left-hander Antoine Kelly, uh, one of the more unique uh, stories and profiles in the draft. So tell me, tell me about Mr. Kelly, Jim. Yeah, and it's funny because after we got off the podcast, after we stopped recording, uh, I don't know why, how he came up. And then Jordan, who is just a crazy baseball nut, obviously, was like, I was just looking at that guy's stats today when I started telling him about Antoine Kelly because he's averaging two strikeouts per nine innings at uh, Wabash Valley. And he's he might be, you know, if we have a Dos Equis sponsorship, the most interesting man in the draft, or at least at the top of the draft. Oh. He's that. <laughs> he's interesting. I mean, Wabash Valley, I think, is 44-1 and one the last time I checked. Nope, they're 45 and one. They, they're on a 43 game winning streak. It's a great team. And he is fascinating. I, I wrote that he probably has the biggest gap between ceiling and floor of any player in the draft. He is a, a northern, you know, he's Chicago suburbs, high school, not too far from where I live. Last year, who guys were running into Sea Lake because he was kind of projectable and, and raw. And, and the Potters actually made a little run at signing him to overslot mine in the 13th round. He wound up a Wabash. And, you know, it, 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 he's put on 20 pounds. He's cleaned up his delivery some. You know, it still needs more work. And after topping out in the low 90s last year, he's up to 98. He can show you 94, 97 for three or four innings. It's, he's six foot six lefty, and the arm is so easy and loose and just effortless. And 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 Jordan's gonna laugh because I, I I said this last week too. <laughs> like it's nobody's saying he's this good. But if you're comparing like six foot six lefty whose arm works so well and the ball comes out so good, so easy, I had three different guys say, you know, you could see like a young David Price in there. Um, now that said, the, the 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 flip side is, and he's averaging like it's JUCO stats, but he's still averaging like eighteen or nineteen strikeouts per nine innings. He has very little feel for spinning the ball. He's got below average slider, doesn't have a change up, doesn't throw a lot of strikes. He, you know, his body, you know, language on the mound. And I know we're like reading tea leaves when we talk about stuff like that, but but it it, it kind of makes scouts worry. Like he he looks a little flustered and and you know disinterested might be harsh at times, but like scouts worry about that too. And it's just it's very hard what to make it, this kid. I mean he. If you like only saw like if you had to scout guys on like 15 second looks and you saw him throw a couple fastballs, you'd be like, man, this guy could go at the top of the draft. But it's like it's it's all body, all fastball right now. The development's going to need a lot of work. But I mean, this is if you if you feel confident, if your organization that feels confident in your ability to develop pitchers then you're looking at this guy saying, man, this guy could be an absolute stud. And, And, you know, even if you wound up as a reliever. Like just talking to people like they think this guy would be easily throwing 100 miles an hour, especially if he's a reliever. It's just an unbelievable arm, unbelievable body. He's just beginning to scratch the surface of his potential. And he's a total wild card, too. I mean, you talk about signability. If he makes himself signable, 
you know, his upside would be top two rounds, you know, right now. But, you know, there's also the type of guy who maybe he thinks, look at how much better I got over one year. I, I still need a lot of polishing up. Maybe I'll do it again next year. And, and if I make the leap, then, I, then I'm going really high in the draft. But he, it, you, you mentioned him to anybody up here. You know, and, and people are, are fly. Everybody's seen him. Everybody's had him cross-checked and everybody's trying to figure out exactly what he is. Yeah, I, I agree. Definitely the most interesting, the most interesting man in the draft. Uh, and, and who knows? I mean, I guess it could fluctuate in one way or the other over the next month. If he's suddenly throwing strikes or suddenly he's only throwing 92, it could go in so many different directions. But I had to ask you about him on the podcast. All right, we're going to have one more, one more here. Uh, back to you, Jonathan. I'm trying to pick. There's so many guys to choose from. You know, there's some some names that have fallen, a little bit disappointing. Uh, but I, but we're, we're going to keep it positive. But I'm going to ask you a guy also in the top 50 and whose brother uh, was selected last year. Let's talk about Sammy Siani. Jonathan, can you tell me about Sammy Siani? I can. Why don't we just like talk about all 100 guys? We'll just do like a 17-hour podcast. <laughs> in, in a random order. In um, a random order. Yes, that's right. Uh, Sam Ciani, he's, uh, he's, I can't say he's from my neck of the woods. He is from Pennsylvania, although the other end uh, of Pennsylvania and yeah, his brother's with the, the Reds now. Sammy is, is not quite as good as his brother. I don't think, uh, or at least doesn't have as much ceiling. One of the things that made Mike Ciani stand out so much is that he was, uh, like a highlight reel in the outfield. And you knew that, the, that he was going to play center field long term. His brother is a little undersized. Uh, I think a lot of people feel he's going to move to a corner. That probably means left. Uh, but there's some interesting offensive potential there. Uh, he, he can swing the bat a little bit. He performed well over the summer. Someone was talking about how he, he'd often hit in, in groups in batting practice you know, with guys like Reese Hines, who has you know, like huge raw power. So everyone would do a knock because Reese Hines would you know, hit balls 900 feet in batting practice. But Siani often would end up with more homers. So there's some pop there. I think a, a scout that I talked to who liked him the most said, if you want to dream on him, you can see a little Andrew Benintendi in there. And Benintendi was a guy who, you know, didn't really blossom until his sophomore year at Arkansas. So if you really believe the bat, you think of him in, in that realm. I, I, you know, that that's a little rich for me. It's why we didn't, you know, otherwise we would have him up much higher. Uh, but he's a Northeast kid, uh, so there there might be some more offensive potential to tap into. And the thing I'm I'm curious with him is is his brother ultimately ended up maybe falling farther than what his talent actually said, going all the way in the fourth round to the Reds, a little bit over slot. So it's possible. Could you see a scenario where Sammy still gets drafted higher than that, even if his upside is maybe a little bit lower? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Siani. Sayani felt his older brother fell because of signability issues. You know, it was not uh, mm-hmm. it was not because of, of talent. Um, you know, the world, the, you know, maybe some concerns about his his hit tool. Uh, but I think most people feel that it's going to come eventually. Although I'm looking now, he's off to a very slow start in, in, in full season ball. Um, but I, yeah, I could you know if if it's determined that the younger Siani is much more willing to enter pro ball uh, than I could easily see him going in the top three rounds. Talent-wise, he belongs there. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in our in our top 100. Uh, he's committed to Duke, um, you know, and I don't I don't know that much about his signability yet. 
but I, I could, you know, if it's determined that he wants to play, then he probably will go ahead of the fourth round. Makes sense to me. All right, that's going to do it uh, for our episode this week. Thank you guys for listening. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, and we will talk to you guys soon.